I'm still recording. Are you recording? I'm recording. Hey! (laughs) We are high tech. Hashtag tech savvy. Our kids would be so impressed. Take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. This is your host, Rachel Gilmore, here with a very special guest and friend, someone I am just so grateful I had the opportunity to meet over a year ago. Um, Stephanie Hand is with us, and we met in Korea, South Korea, of all places, right, in Seoul. And I heard a lot, rave reviews about Stephanie, and we actually started working a little bit on the... um, New people, new places, pioneering missional communities type training, even before I got to meet you in person. But she's amazing. She's in the Western North Carolina Conference. She helps with fresh expressions type stuff, with mosaic stuff with Mark DeMoz. When I found out that she knows about and is trained in CQ, I was like, Stephanie, you've got to come and talk to me because she's so gifted, so incredible, has so much to offer. Um, what did I leave out, Stephanie? What should I have said about your title or roles? Or Oh, and oh, wait, wait, one more, one more bragging thing. She is on our Path One strategy team. So she helps guide and shape, you know, who we are and what our focus is. And we just had a meeting, right, to plan for the next quadrennial. So she's been a very important and vocal voice. And one of the questions that you asked recently that just really impacted me was like, why? Like, why are we doing this? What's the benefit? Um, Because you and I've talked before, like church planting has to change, especially in this area of intercultural awareness. So I'm going to shut up and let you talk. Welcome, Stephanie. (laughs) Thank you, Rachel. Oh my God. Did we not have a good time in Korea? I tell you what, it was, and it was right before COVID happened. And so we, we got in and got out, but it was an, an experience of cultural, intercultural competencies uh, in the area. So what a wonderful uh, opportunity to talk about uh, intercultural competency and, and, the, um, and the need that we have here in the American church to live fully into that and to gain a deeper understanding. So thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be with you today. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because, you know, for me, when I was looking at this need to train and equip pastors, but especially planters, you know, that's kind of my field and focus in intercultural awareness and competency. I'd heard of the IDI, the Intercultural Development Inventory. And so I recently got trained as a qualified administrator for that. And I've loved it. You know, I love the setup where they kind of have you move through this, um, through the phases from monocultural to more of an intercultural mindset from denial through polarization, through minimization to acceptance and then adaptation. And I never, I didn't know that anything else existed. And then I heard about CQ and that Mosaics has been using it and that you're trained in that. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have got to talk. And and we had a great conversation about the, the differences, pros and cons, and then the commonalities between the two tools. Uh, but tell us a little bit more. Folks out there, Methodists, I think, have been using IDI for a while. I know there are a lot of qualified administrators out there. But um, tell us what's, what CQ is, how should it be used, what are the benefits of it? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity to share. And I'm a certified a trainer in CQ now and in pandemic, in, in the season of pandemic and my relationship that I have with Mosaic and the multicultural multi-ethnic experience and cohort that I've developed in Western North Carolina. Um, it, this is, this is it's crucial to the work in which uh, not only I do in the district, but what we do in America as the American church, because um, as I've heard stories of cross-racial appointments, I've, as I, I've 
as I've heard stories of those who have the inner workings of multicultural, a variety of people being under one roof in a in an America where, if we're really honest, the majority culture, which is Anglo, um, has has been the culture or the norm. And now that um, America is is truly becoming a melting pot, where diversity, and I'll just speak for my area, we're we're ninety, we have ninety seven percent Anglo churches, and yet. We are 47% ethnic other. And so mm. if we truly wanted to be the church and cast our net on the other side of the boat and have a great catch, and that great catch is a diverse catch, um, we must have be competent in understanding the cultural diversity and the cultural nuances um, and the cultural cues that we have to have a greater understanding. And so um, what CQ it does is it recognizes uh, the need for cultural competency. Now, culture, uh, CQ was really birthed out of the business sector. Uh, this is a business sector assessment because businesses, which is interesting, and they're a little bit lightheads against the charge, businesses understood, our big businesses, Google, I'll just use Google as an example, understood in order to be a global entity, they needed to understand the cultural nuances and the values and the norms of other cultures in other countries, which also other countries are right here in America. And so to understand the core competencies, if you will, which are simply this, uh, your CQ drive, your CQ knowledge, your CQ action, and your CQ strategy. And it's basically saying that through their research of um, 100 countries, and their values and their and their and their um, competencies and 150,000 people in whom they did research on, so that it's practical. And so, in the business sector, they want net profitability, and net profitability is green money, <laughs> and <laughs> particularly in America, it's green money. And so, their their goal is to be a profitable organization. Well, the church has a goal as well, and the church, in my opinion, is a business, and our net profitability are people. We're after people for the yes. salvation of the world. And so in order to do that, we gotta we have to acknowledge the fact, like, what is the drive? Why, why do we want people? Why are should we be concerned about the other and shift from being homogeneity of a church to really be an intercultural, multicultural uh, environment? Because after all, after all, Revelation 7, 9 calls for it, that all people's tribes, tongues, and nations. So what is the drive? What is our purpose? Why do we want to do this? Why is this important? And if it's in the wrong arena, then we need to reassess uh, as to why. The second thing is knowledge. We have to understand, just like when you and I went to uh, Korea, South Korea, uh, you know, we were informed to, to actually study the culture. Now, I don't know about you, I didn't do a great job with that. <laughs> but, you know, I picked up a couple of words here or there. And there's a reason why. Now that I've had this cultural training, I understand it now. Because when you go to another country, my American values and my American culture has to make some decisions in a foreign land that we have to understand the nuances. Because number one, if we're in a country that's, you know, really tight, um, we we got to make sure if we're in a country like Indonesia, we have to wear the hijab around our head as women going into the streets. And if we don't do it, then we could get in some serious trouble while in that country. So those are cultural things that we have to understand um, for the knowledge piece of it. And then the action is that once you gain knowledge, 
What are you going to do about it? How are we going to act? And the question is, will we adapt? And adaptation is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Adaptation is just shifting. Like if I'm in Indonesia and I want to travel there, but I need to put the job on my head so that I can navigate in that, in that environment and respect their culture. The, 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 the tension between the adaptation is how do I still um, show up as my full self, not to, min- to diminish who I am, but to know what the cultural nuances are in those other actions and those other areas. And then the last thing is strategy. What kind of strategy are we going to do? What, what planning do we do around trying to get to know people, know their nuances, know their values, and know their cultures? We have to be intentional. And when we can do that, according to the researchers, when we can do those four areas, and you, one is, doesn't overshadow the other one, but dig deep into those other areas, we then become more competent culturally. Uh, and, and, and we have the competence to be in any type of an environment to, to get to know people. Now, understanding that this is generalizations, researchers are clusters of people. And even in clusters of people, like if you're Anglo, well, there's a whole multifacet of cultures in Anglo, Latinx, Latino, a whole mass uh, cultures within the culture, African American. Everybody's not like me. Praise be to God. There's <laughs> there's different nuances based on how we were raised, based on our environment, and those things play into factor too. But the more knowledgeable we are of those four uh, competency areas, the better we're able to navigate, the better we're able to build relationships, and the better we are are able to not have microaggressions when we're in spaces and places. Yes. Oh, I love it. Like I'm eating up everything that you said. And what I really appreciate about you being here today is that we're able to see that, you know, both the IDI and the CQ were kind of birthed in the business world. Like we've got to understand if we want to be international global entities and Mm -hmm. then, then we need to have greater awareness and competency there. Um, and both have been validated. They're more scientific. They're not church-based, faith-based. Like they are valid tools to help you assess. Um, and then as you were like talking and breaking down those four competencies, I loved it because in the IDI, it does a similar thing, but it's, it's unique. Like something I like about CQ is it talks about the characteristics, for example, how direct or indirect are you? And on that spectrum, where might you fall on your culture? And then what is the culture that you're in? And, you know, work culture, neighborhood, whatever it might be. Um, and then with the IDI, we say that you start in this denial phase where you might say, oh, well, there are Italian restaurants and Mexican restaurants, but outside of food and language, there are really no differences and you just deny that those exist and then you polarize and you say well it's us versus them and all you focus on are the good in your your culture or the bad in your culture and good in the other then you're in minimization where you're like oh we're all just the same let's focus on humanity this is where i find a lot of pastors fall into it because they're like oh let's just be one body and love each other and 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 there's value in that and tolerance in that and yet you're right. You're not adapting. You're not, your behavior is not changing. You don't have a strategy in place. Um, and so that's when we move on to that accept, uh, the acceptance where you accept there's differences, you want to learn about it. And then adaptation where you're able to adapt. And I totally resonate with what you said. Like when we adapt to the cultures around us to make them feel more hospitable and safe, it doesn't diminish or lessen who we are in our culture. It sometimes builds a bigger bridge and opens up doors for them to then listen to more of our culture because it's not seen as a threat, um, so, which is huge. And I think our nation needs this right now, but our churches especially, because I, and I loved how you shared about your context and how the churches are not reflective of the community. Let's look at the United Methodist Church in the U.S. only 
gosh, what is it? 6% of Methodists are non-Anglo. That is like embarrassing and horrible. And if we want a future in the U.S., we've got to learn to be more intercultural and not like tokenism stuff, which is what I appreciate about CQ, you know, is it really wants us to do the work and have the strategy for authentically engaging other cultures. Um, yeah, and respecting and respecting other cultures and not bringing our privileged American culture to the front and center in all spaces yes. and places because data says that diverse communities, particularly in if you're if we're mobilizing, this is leadership now, mobilizing leadership to accomplish a goal, diverse communities are better, far better than just homogeneity. And the reason being is because you're reaching more people. And so it's important that those groups are effectively working together and not minimizing and everybody has a voice, you know, just because um, we, so we have to understand what it means to be a person to have low uncertainty avoidance and high uncertainty avoidance, those types of things that matters. It it doesn't mean that I'm not, don't want to say something and don't because we have a tendency if we're competitive or cooperative the competitive person and I am a competitive person as an athlete it simply says that I'm I have a high drive well that's great but we also need to listen to other folk in the room because they have their intellect they're smart and after a while if you talk over people the people who really have something to say they kind of like well you know what you're not valuing me And it's about valuing humanity, about valuing everyone in the room. And when we do that, we will create the love community. We will be a better and nimble uh, church. And that's why it's so, so important. Jesus valued his disciples. Peter was a hothead trying to (laughs) cut people's ears off. But Jesus didn't beat Peter up. Jesus, you know, he did say, look, put your sword down, brother. But he valued Peter in the essence of who Peter was. And, and that's what I think CQ does. It helps you to value people, which makes it takes a little bit more time to get to know uh, people, their idiosyncrasies, what makes them tick, what drives them, what knowledge that they have. And then when we can do that in team dynamics, man, what a church we can have. Oh, I know. And I love everything you're saying because, you know, part of the IDI is having this development plan, which is part of the strategy thing that CQ offers as well. And you're absolutely right. When we learn to value other people and their cultures that we want to understand them and adapt to what it is that we're experiencing, it is kind of like a shock at first when we start doing that because we're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea how much my culture has shaped. I would think that, well, I'm just reacting as Rachel and I don't take into account what it's like to be you know, in the dominant culture and, uh, and to have, have moved so much throughout my life and like the Navy culture, how all of that has shaped and formed me. So it, you know, taking the IDI myself and learning more about the CQ has really made me look at what makes me who I am, what's beautiful and holy that I need to hold on to, and what is kind of remnants or baggage that I've got to let go of to be who God has called me to be moving forward and who God has called the church to be. Because you're right, like this is an important resource and tool for any pastor, for any staff team at a church to take together. Um, I love doing it with planters because I feel like it's a low-hanging fruit because when you're starting something from scratch, if you start with this vision of multicultural, multi-ethnic, just really inclusive – it's easier for that to gain traction than going into a really established church that 
has had no diversity and doesn't even know where to start and how to learn. Um, so if someone wants to know more about CQ or, okay, wait, I'm going to brag on CQ one more time. Something that you guys have that I think is great is that implicit bias assessment that yeah, you can do. I wanted to say, I wanted to <gasps> Tell say, me about that. Because what it does is the, the microaggressions come within that piece. And, and as I went through that, I was like, God, I've heard that, that, that in, that in um, team dynamics, when you're planning and trying to strategize, there are biases that show its ugly head in the space. For example, as women, we're in a room with the majority men in the room sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes. Way I have experienced. I have experience where I'm contributing to the conversation and it's, it's almost as if it has fallen on deaf ears and a male will pick up that same thing and say the almost the exact same thing and there's energy around it. Well, that's affinity bias. That's a bias that I can't see an individual in the room because maybe I have some biases about them, but if somebody that looks like me kind of hangs out with me, kind of have the same thought, I can hear them. And, and there's this attractiveness bias. And here's this other thing, is that the people in our mind that we believe is attractive, that means that they're smart and they're brilliant, that if somebody um, that comes into that room, and I'm just going to say ethnic minority, there, there are assumptions that we make. And so therefore, they don't look like what we consider attractive. So therefore, they're not as intelligent or as smart. Now, mm-hmm. it is impl- it's not it's not out front, it's unconscious, but these are the things because of our socializations, what TV tells us about individuals, what what our families have told us about individuals, what our what our community, our schools have told us about our individuals, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. We carry all those things and so it is important to understand that each and every person has biases. But what does that mean? And what does that, so we need language around it. We need definition around it. And then we have to examine ourselves. And then when it comes up in a room in which we're planning to move an organization forward and someone does that, somebody in the room needs to say, excuse me, but, but Rachel just said something. We need to pause for a moment and just listen to what um, she has said. Or if you're in the room and you got to hire someone or put a nomination has to uh, create the leadership and someone brings someone's name up and they say, well, Sue would be great at this. And somebody in the room says, well, you know, Sue has five kids um, and she's doing PTO and PTA and she has a full-time job. She really didn't have time to do that. Well, that's a bias. Please let, let's let her determine whether she has time or not, as opposed to infringing upon that. That's a bias and we need to stop it and really get to the facts of the matter. Ask her whether she can do it or not. If we believe she has the skill set to do it. And when we start doing those types of things and stop saying that ethnic minorities aren't, you know, well, we got to groom them. We, we have to educate them. We have to, well, I've been in some places and spaces, particularly in corporate America, where other people have gotten opportunities and they didn't have the same education and they didn't have the same experience and they didn't have the same whatever, but we gave them an opportunity. And so what we, I think all of us want is opportunity to prove ourselves. I completely agree. Like I'll never forget, gosh, it was probably seven or eight years ago, but, uh, Someone from another United Methodist conference called and said, you know, we're vetting this woman. She wants to plant a church. She's passed all her assessments with flying colors, but, but she's like a woman. So do you really think she can do this? And I'm like, what? I don't understand. Of course she yes. can do this. They're like, well, you're a woman yes. who did it. So we just wanted to ask, like, what is it about you? Like, how can we apply that to her? And I'm like, ah, give her a shot. You're right. Like, look at the skills. Give them a chance to, to share their voice and stand up for them. We need that 
across the board um, because the implicit bias is, is so real. And IDI, IDI doesn't have that implicit bias thing. We do have the ICS, which talks about how we handle conflict, which for me was another fascinating thing and, and unlocked a lot of um, understanding about times that I haven't felt heard or haven't listened the way I should have to, to colleagues or coworkers when we're in conflict. Cause it says, you know, how emotional or logical are you? Like I'm part Italian. I get in it. I don't mind conflict and I can get fired up. Right. <laughs> we both, we have, you know, ah! um, and then it talks about how direct or indirect you are. And so, you know, that can be really helpful again, just learning about yourself and then not saying because it's who I am, it's right or it's better, but saying this is who I am. And I bring that into the space so who is God calling me to do or how is God calling me to respond to this person, this, like you said, this person I value and that I respect and I want to learn more about. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's hard absolutely. work. We have a tendency of acclimating towards people that we like. So the likability of them is comfortable. It's easy. But the question becomes, are we doing it because we like people and they like us? Or are we doing it to, to just broaden the circle to say, who's the most competent person in the room? Um, and although they may not agree with everything I say, and maybe I don't understand them that well, but we're after a goal of the kingdom of God being present at hand. And in God's kingdom, everybody has a seat at the table. Mm. How It doesn't matter how difficult they are. Maybe it doesn't even matter how we understand them. But if we want to move the kingdom of God forward, then we have to invite people to the table that otherwise we would not. And we have to be very intentional about that. And that's why it's crucial to say, you know what? I do have a couple of biases. I do. I've been hurt. To be honest, I've been hurt by our Anglo brothers and sisters throughout my, from, from, from young person, when I was in high school, my Anglo male counselor told me I wanted to go to a college visit. He told me I could not go because all I could do was go to the community college. Now, let me declare oh. and decree today. I, have, I, I am a doctor in ministry. Uh, but this man told me because he had an affinity for me that looked like me, act like me, talk like me. But I got a chance to go on that visit anyway because my, my assistant principal circumvented the process uh, because he believed in me. But for whatever reason, my school counselor did not. And so mm -hmm. there's stories after story after stories after stories of um, Anglo brothers and sisters of minimizing me based on whatever their ideology of uh, African-Americans may or may not be. And that might be a bias on my part, but for whatever reason, they, they try to limit me. And we got to stop doing that. We got to see the humanity yes. in each other and just, and then give them, give them tools, give people tools to grow and to become the fullness of who God has, has um, created us to be. And that's where it is. This is why this work is important. This is why we have to continue to press this. And again, CQ was really in the um, business sector and mosaic through Mark Demas. Um, they, they bidded it out because they believe they're Christians themselves and they believe that this needs to be in the life of the church. It is working wonderfully uh, for the military throughout the world. It's working wonderfully for institutions of higher learning. People are in, in business. The corporate America is using this product, using this, um, this assessment. And it's not the end all be all, but it is a starting point to really help us open ourselves up to say, okay, we have some weaknesses and we have some strengths and all of them are at play in this work. Individualism is at play. Corp being a collaborator is at play. Um, someone who can jump off a cliff without having a plan is in play. And those who don't, 
that avoid they, they're um, finance people. We want them to be very meticulous and planning, not too much risk taking, but have some risk taking. And all of that plays into being an effective leader, an effective organization. And at the end of the day for the church, we are in the business of making disciples for the transformation of the world so that the God's light may shine throughout humanity. And so that's why we've got to include everybody at the table. Mm. Amen. You took me to church, Reverend Dr. Stephanie Hand. <laughs> um, I mean, it's so true and it's so important and something I, we might've mentioned before, but I just want to highlight it again because it came out in what you said that that both the CQ and IDI can be done individually one-on-one, but it can also be done with a whole group. Like what if, like you said, organizations, military, I know with IDI, there are like police forces that are using it, higher institution, higher ed, like absolutely. We see them using it all over the place and that's so crucial and important. So if you have like a planting team or if you have a large church staff, you can do it and can tell you as a group where you fall on this spectrum. And, um, And the, the funnest part for me, I don't know if CQ has this, it's a beautiful but hard moment because we talk about where people think they are on that spectrum and then yes. developmentally where they actually are and what that gap yes. is. And there are people who are like horrified They're because like, most of us think we're a lot farther along than we are. It's just natural. Um, but it's a good moment because I'm like, well, this is where you want to be. Let's do that work. Let's get there. You know, it's a good goal to work towards because you're right. If we are not multi-ethnic, if we are not diverse, listening, respecting all of the cultures that God brings to our community, our environment, our heart, then we're not being faithful to the kingdom, the kingdom. So. Absolutely. I think business gets it because they have to do a lot of marketing to people and they do it through just like on uh, online Google. When you're online, man, they track what you look at online. And next thing you know, you get stuff in your email box. You get stuff on Facebook on the very things in which you have been looking at. The thing about it is the church has to do the same thing. We don't have a marketing team, so to speak, but we have an evangelism team that needs to understand the community so that when we're doing things and the needs, that we we can draw them to us or we can be drawn to them but if we don't know them, they're going to smell us from a mile. <laughs> we're just trying to make members. No, we're trying to make disciples for the transformation of the world. That's what we're called to do. It's not about membership, but it is about discipleship. And what you said is, is uber important is that we really have to get out in our out of our comfort zone and understand that we have to be competent in intercultural understanding of humanity. Because at the end of the day, We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're siblings. And so therefore we have to get to know each other. And in order to get to know each other, we have to understand the cultural nuances, the values in which we, we all hold. And when we do that, I think we'll have beloved community. I completely agree. And I love what you said, because you're right. People will sense if it's like transactional, if they are a commodity that you're trying to, you know, obtain as opposed to a relationship you want to live into. So we need more relational ministry, more relational insight, and without intercultural competency, competency, you'll never get there. So so if people want to know more about CQ and how to use this tool, where should they go? Who should they talk to? You obviously, well, but how do you want say, them to contact you? <laughs> I, I, would, I would say just reach out to me at um, smhand299 at gmail.com, S-M as in Mary, H-A-N-D, 299 at gmail.com. I will definitely have a conversation with you with all the work. 
Um, and, and you can find me on the website as well. Just look up my name, Stephanie Morehand. It pops up. I'm on Facebook as well as Instagram. Um, but be more than happy to connect you. Um, I have the privilege because of my relationship with Mosaic, particularly in Western North Carolina, um, with the multicultural cohort in which I develop. This is the work that I do. I'm very passionate about it. Um, but, you know, I don't have a capacity to do all that, but definitely will connect um, folk with Mosaic and uh, Mark Demise. And I understand he's going to be on tomorrow. So excited to yeah. hear what he has to say. Um, but just really good ministry. Really awesome. good ministry. He and Harry Lee. I, I've actually been co-facilitating uh, with Harry Lee uh, from Mosaic. And it's been, it's been enriching. It's been enlightening. Um, and it's been God moments. God moments all through. That's incredible. And when I talk to Mark, yeah, we're, we're recording the podcast tomorrow and I think it'll be released maybe before or after yours, close, maybe right after, I don't know. But um, you're one of, if not the only Methodist kind of on their website as the go-to. So, so yeah, if you want to know more about mosaics or multicultural, multi-ethnic ministry and planting, um, Stephanie is just a remarkable resource. So I'm grateful to know you, to work alongside you, to hear from you today. Um, if you are listening in and you want to know more about IDI, I mean, a lot of folks already know about it, but feel free to talk to me and I can tell you the dozen or so qualified administrators that are out there that can help you with that resource as well. But I think we can both agree it's just important to use one or both. or but Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, Rachel, you said you're going to create a... Um, uh, put all of the, the consultants on a page from the general agency just so that it's easy uh, to access and things of that nature. So we're excited um, as, as Methodists just to really share resources so that we can t- continue to revitalize the church. Absolutely. And I'm also going to brag on you one more moment because you were so gracious to accept my invitation to be part of the working team to develop our decolonizing church planting training for 2021. So also stay tuned for information about that because, you know, this is one tool that made me realize, wow, our whole approach has been backwards for church planting. How can we intentionally change and be anti-racist in all that we do as the body of Christ? So thank you for your help with that as well and your voice. Amen. We're called to dismantle racism and be an anti-racist church. Amen. Praise God. Well, thank you. And thanks to everybody who's listening in today. We're so grateful that you joined us for this latest episode of Field Preachers. Bye. Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.